Good morning. That's loud. It is my privilege to lead us in the preaching of the word this morning as we continue to worship our glorious king. This message is a difficult one. It's not something that you'll hear in a lot of modern day evangelical churches in America, I think, but I think that's why it is so important that we discuss the topic of repentance. So this morning, we're going to read out of Luke chapter 13, the first nine verses. So if you would, open your Bibles there. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens. The Gospel writer Luke writes, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, Let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day, Lord. We thank You for the life that You have given us. We thank You for every breath that we draw, for it is Your grace that sustains us, Lord. Father, You are holy, You are just, You are mighty, You are wrathful against sin. You are good. Lord, we love You, we seek You, we desire You. And Lord, let this message uh, pierce our hearts this morning. Help us to check ourselves against Your Word and to see where we stand in light of this. Father, You are so good to us. In Your holy name, pray all these things. So, the first thing that should stand out to us in this is that Jesus asks some rhetorical questions, which leads to, I think, my first point, which would be the misconception about sin. The fact is that he was asking these rhetorical questions because the Jews at this time had a misconception about sin and its consequences. Because very explicitly, Jesus asks, he said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because of their suffering? Or do you think that on those 18 whom this tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? It wasn't because of their sin that these things happened. The Jews had this idea that there was a cause and effect relationship between their sin and the, uh, and the uh, consequences that happened, the tragedy that befell people. 
And this misconception was what Jesus is clearly addressing here. A famous pastor back in a back a few years ago said that Hurricane Katrina had happened because of the sin of people in Louisiana. And that's wrong. <laughs> that's not what it was. Sin is not just an action. Sin is our nature. Sin is universal in mankind. You see that Jesus answered both of the rhetorical questions. He says, no, the Galileans worst, weren't worst offenders. Those in Siloam were not worse offenders. You see, we are all under sin. There is no one who does not sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> Unless you repent, you will perish. And this perishing is obviously not just a mere physical death because Jesus knew that these Israelites weren't just complete lunatics. They weren't delusional Everybody knows that there's a time to be born and a time to die. But this perishing is far more than just mere physical death. Everyone is perishing because everyone is under the wrath of sin. Everyone is guilty before a holy God. There is no such thing as a worse sinner or a worse offender against God for we have all transgressed His holy nature. Judgment is reserved for those who are perishing. And the fact is that there are worse moral judgments that we can proclaim on sin, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the universal nature of sin. The problem is that we don't have a big enough view of God because of our sinful state. We are perishing. We are going to eternally die. There is something in us that is lacking because we cannot fulfill or obey God's law. And Jesus says that unless you repent, you will perish. Jesus connects this sense of lacking what is lacking in us to repentance. Unless you repent, you will perish. You see, the fig tree that is planted seems healthy on the outside. It can live for many, many years and not bear fruit. But what would be the purpose of this tree if it doesn't bear fruit? What is the purpose of the tree if it doesn't bear fruit? There's a problem even when everything looks fine on the outside. The lack of fruit is the condemning sentence for the tree in this parable. And this is what Jesus connects with repentance. It is the fruit from the tree is the repentance of the people. If you do not repent, you will be cut down. You will perish. Trees naturally produce fruit, right? And as humanity, we were created to glorify God. But now, in our fallen state, we have 
sinned, we have transgressed God's law, and we don't see God's holiness normally anymore. We don't see sin for what it is, so we don't repent of it when we do it. See, we are missing our purpose in life in glorifying God. When we don't repent, when the trees don't bear fruit, they're not healthy, they're not totally alive. And because of this, demise is imminent. It doesn't deserve to continue taking up the space that it does in a garden. You see that we have lived a life worthy of perishing. We don't do the things that we ought. The holiness of God is the highest standard. And we fall short of that every single day. The standard that these people were called to, that we are called to today, is to be holy. But because we miss that mark every day, we deserve death because God doesn't deserve or doesn't have to give us life every day. You see that the mercy of the vine dresser is not to be transgressed upon. His mercy in light of all of the clear warning signs that He has given to us are not to be trampled upon. In light of the perishing of those around us, we should be aware of the message that's been given that unless we recognize sin and the holiness of God, we will perish like those around us, like those in Galilee and Siloam. Our perishing will be an eternal perishing we don't know how much time we have which should lead us to repentance. And we don't know how much time others have. So we should tell them this message because this is an urgent message. The fact that the vine dresser has mercy on us when he doesn't need to should make us glorify God. Be thankful for Him. To praise Him. We don't deserve a single day, but yet He gives us life abundant. Because of that, we should recognize that there's something that we need to do. There's something in us that needs to change. John Bradford, pointing to uh, criminals on the way to the execution block, says, there before the grace of God I go. When you see the executioner's block, when you see those being led to death, you should know that that could have been you. Those that are perishing, those that aren't alive, that don't believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that they will die eternally. Sometimes the work that the vine dresser does is kind of crappy. I don't mean that in a <laughs> in the way that he does things, but in our surroundings. See, the vine dresser sometimes plants us and it takes him putting a lot of manure in our lives <laughs> to recognize that there's something bigger than us. That all of the crap in our life is supposed to point us 
to God's mercy. That that is God's grace whenever it just seems like the junk is just piling on and piling on. That the grace of God is meant to lead us to repentance. To bear fruit. Seeing the lives of others. Seeing tragedy. Knowing that any day could be our last. That not a single day that we have is earned. It's only by God's grace that we have it. We should repent of our sins in light of the Gospel. You see, if there's no fruit when God decides your time is up, then that's it. The reality is that we are sinners in need of saving from something outside of ourselves. We know there's a problem. We must seek the solution. The solution is belief, not solely repentance. We are saved by grace through faith. But your belief necessitates repentance. It took the Son of God taking on flesh, living a sinless life, dying a criminal's death, rising from the grave in order for this to be given to us. Repentance is a requirement in light of your salvation, not a requirement for your salvation. It is crucial that this is something that we get correct because the good news is we have a perfect vine dresser who completely fulfilled the law, who lived the sinless life that we can't live so that we can live. The next time we're in the midst of tragedy, those who are perishing, when things look bleak, we repent, we tell them of the good news because if you don't believe, your eternal fate is at stake. If you don't see the weight of your sin, then you won't see the holiness of God. If you don't see the holiness of God, you will not understand the heinous nature of your sin. You see, the fruit of repentance is a very grave sentence in many Americans because it's clearly stated here that the fig tree, if there's no fruit found, it's cut down. See, the fruit of repentance is something that is not grown easily, but it is something that is very crucial. And I'm trying to get my words here. This is, this is really, really hard. It is a visible outworking of an inward change. It is something that those around you should be able to see. And it is something that is not merely an apology. Because of the circumstances that surround your repentance, that require the circumstances that lead to your repentance, you should recognize that this is a very serious thing. Because God legitimately redeems liars, murderers, thieves, adulterers. But He does not allow His people to go on living that way. You see, repentance recognizes sin for the crime that it is. Asks God for forgiveness and lives a changed life. Just because you've been forgiven of your sin, you don't have license to sin. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1-4 through four says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who sin or died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in the newness of life. You've been given a new life. You are dead to your sin. We are not to continue in sin. We have been given a new life. Your new life is new. It's different. It's something that's completely unlike the way you used to live. Repentance is a daily discipline of living the new life. So that when you begin to see the roots of your sinfulness, you'll begin to understand that repentance requires daily recognition of the Gospel. The fact is that every day we sin. Every day we miss the mark. Every day we fail to live up to the standard. But, that doesn't mean that we give in. Because upon bearing the fruit of repentance, we realize it's a daily bearing of repentance. See, when you the first time you repent of your sin, you should clearly understand that a war on the flesh starts. Every day is a battle. It's not something that we casually walk into because once you understand sin, you understand why you cannot live under its dominion. This is why the war wages on. If you walk into your battles every day thinking, it's okay if I sin. God will forgive me. Then you've already fallen prey to sin. That's not the response of someone who is grieved at sin. Believing in Jesus Christ completely imputes His righteousness. You are counted Christ's righteousness when you believe in His name. So when you do sin, you are forgiven. But you should be grieved at that sin. You should repent. You should ask for forgiveness and take steps so that you wouldn't sin again. So that you would bring glory to God and that you would see that His grace is not for you to continue in your sin. It's not merely apologizing and continuing to live the same life. That's no different than the child who gets his hand smacked for trying to grab a cookie from the cookie jar. For those who have professed the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is not salvation by works because what the vine dresser is waiting for is something that requires a healthy living plant. The fruit of repentance is something that happens after you have been given life. It is something that is only possible in recognition of sin in fighting those battles. You see, the in light of Hebrews 12.4 is how we should fight our battles. And Hebrews 12.4 hits me like a bullet every time. It's what the writer says. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That is how serious the battle for your holiness is. 
when you lose your battles, when you're fighting your sin, you should be bloody, beaten, and ragged, feeling grieved, not just merely, I'm sorry for that. When you fight the good fight, you win battles and you lose battles. But we rejoice because the victory for the overall war has already been won. See, your fruit of repentance was grown with the blood of the Lamb. Your repentance is God's grace beckoning you deeper into a relationship with Him. Growing in your holiness. You see, the fruit of repentance is a necessary component in the working out of your salvation because you see sin for what it is. We bring holiness to ourselves And we give grace to others. We proclaim this message to a world that is perishing because it's only by the grace of God that we are redeemed, that we do repent. In the same light, we tell the world that the good news is that Jesus Christ died for your sins and there is a holy God who has real wrath on sin. Unless they believe in the name of Jesus Christ and repent, they will perish. The the eternal life of friends, family, is at stake here. All the people we know and love who don't know Christ are perishing. We are obligated by this salvation to go and tell those who are perishing to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. We are surrounded by people who are perishing. It is the greatest disservice you can do to somebody you know that doesn't know Jesus Christ to not tell them about this good news. To tell them that they should repent in light of a holy God. But the good news is God doesn't leave us in our guilt, in our grief. If you've ever read the parable of the prodigal son, I think that this is the perfect conclusion to this. You see that Jesus says that there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Rebellion against the father. Sound familiar? And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. Tragedy. And he began to be in need. So when he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to compassion, or came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Repentance. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Forgiveness. You see, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, you will be forgiven and welcomed into the arms of a loving God. We are not left in our guilt when we repent, but in the loving arms of a Father. He forgives us of all the wrong that we have done because of what His Son did. This is what the Gospel accomplishes. This is the message we proclaim to our friends and family, to ourselves every day, so that we would lead people to repentance, so that they would have eternal life, eternal joy with our loving Father, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, by the work done by Jesus Christ, so that their sins would be paid for in full. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, You are good. You are holy. Holy, holy God. And we are not. Lord, we love You. And Lord, we know that there are people today who don't. Father, we are perishing without Your grace. And when we trample on that grace every day, Lord, if we ask for forgiveness and feel the weight of that sin, Lord, You are just to forgive. We don't deserve a single day, Lord, but yet You still give it to us. God, I ask that everyone here would hear this message and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, and that they would repent of their sins because there's no other option in light of the Gospel. God, let us proclaim this news to those who are perishing because we know that there is only one way, Lord, to You, and that is through belief in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask that You would make that plainly aware to us and that Spirit would do Your work in us. Praise be to our Lord and Savior who died on the cross, who came as a man so that we would be forgiven. Who left the fullness of joy He had at His Father's hand so that we would experience that. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your mercy, Your grace, and Your holiness. And in all this we pray. Amen.